Today's scripture is um, Proverbs 3, 13 to 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Thank you very much, uh, Bill. Uh, As you probably already guessed, we are entering into a new sermon series for the next five Sundays, including today. The series is called Money and the Wisdom of Proverbs. And it's possible that you are here and you are rather suspicious of why we would choose this series on money. Because maybe you've seen, maybe firsthand, or you've heard about certain churches talking about money all the time. They can't seem to talk enough about it. And maybe you should, they basically like enjoy dropping guilt bombs upon their church members saying, you know, look at the pastor and he's so dirt poor and look how shabby his house is and look at the piece of junk car he drives and, and his kids. I mean, they got holes in their clothes. I mean, please, you know, through this guilt bomb, would you give more? And maybe that's your suspicion. Or perhaps you've been in a church where they preach what is known as the health and wealth gospel. Have you heard of the health and wealth the gospel? You know how this health and wealth gospel goes? Basically, if you just give generously to God or to your local church, well, guaranteed, Jesus is going to bless your socks off and make you rich and make you wealthy and make you happy and then give you better health than you've ever enjoyed. That's the guarantee of health and wealth. Problem is with the health and wealth gospel is if you look at Jesus, well, he, he died poor and homeless, okay? He suffered really for a full three years before dying in one of the most horrific ways imaginable. During his three years, there was no place to lay his head. I mean, that doesn't quite fit the box of the health and wealth prosperity gospel, does it? So that doesn't work. Anyhow, before you think we have some a subversive agenda that serves our own means in a selfish kind of way, and that's why we're doing this series on money, well, please know the only agenda that we have, that I have, is to help you look to God and to look to his word in Scripture, in the book of Proverbs, for how to get your finances in better shape, to get your finances more and better, more rightly submitted to the kingship of Jesus and when you actually, the, the irony is, when you submit your finances to the ways of Jesus, the, the beautiful irony and blessing is, um, it, it helps your finances. It helps the bottom line. It, it's amazing. Um, it won't make you rich. This is not health and wealth gospel, no. But adopting Christ's ways to managing your finances helps you gain control over your bottom line and it helps you practice self-control when it comes to your financial decisions and spending. Back when we started this church in and around 12 or 13 years ago, we said from day one, we will not be that church that never talks about money. So you can do it too much. You can talk about it too much, or you can talk about it too little. And I found that the church planters and pastors who never talk about money are churches that no longer exist, okay? So there is a time to talk about money, Um, And so we made the decision. We're going to teach a financial series about once every two years, and that's this time, okay? So that's the only agenda time-wise that we're following. But here are some additional reasons why this series is particularly timely 
uh, for you and I, outside of the fact that a lot of us are in Christmas debt right now and the Christmas, uh, the credit card bills are coming in and it's just so fantastic, isn't it? But in addition to that, did you know that you and I as fellow Metro Vancouverite citizens, we live in the most debt-ridden major city in Canada, according to Global News. Isn't that great? Even worse, amongst the 35 developed or developing countries in the world, Canada enjoys the highest debt levels than any other country in that group of 35 countries, according to CNBC. Then, to add insult to injury, according to the National Post just this last week, British Columbia is paying some of the most obscenely, disproportionately high gas prices in Canadian history. So Edmonton, Alberta, for example, don't we love Edmonton? I didn't think so. Uh, Edmonton, Alberta was paying, especially when you hear what I'm about to report, Edmonton this last week was paying just 84 cents a liter at the pump, while drivers in Victoria were paying a buck 37. Now, a buck 37 is cheaper than what it was here, right? But the disparity is a 63% difference. So we're paying 63% more generally than Edmonton is. We've never seen this in Canadian history, this, this, this disparity. And so these cost of living pressures, they very often translate into something ugly. And if you're married, you get this. They translate very often into marital stress and marital strain. Think about if you're currently married, what was your last argument about? Chances are pretty good that the last argument you've had with your spouse was in and around or centered on money. Am I right? In fact, according to a new survey by Ramsey Solutions, so Dave Ramsey is he's an American, but he's a, he's a great he's got great wisdom on this. Not that, not that wrong with, anything wrong with being an American, uh, but Dave Ramsey it actually applies a lot to our Canadian context and a great uh, source of info online. But Dave, Ramsey Solutions money fights are the second leading cause of divorce uh, right behind infidelity. And what they found is high levels of debt and then consequent lack of communication about those high levels of debt, you put those together, those are major causes of stress and anxiety in the home. And you know that. You know that if you're married. So I share all of that information just to encourage you and to warm your heart. Aren't you feeling great about that? But let me give you one last reason for why we're doing this series on managing God's money uh, wisely in your life. Because Jesus himself talked a lot, a surprising amount, about money. If you look at his parables, which were the stories with the point that he shared, a full 25% of his parables were about money in some way. And if I teach about money as often as Jesus taught about money, I would preach about money about once a, once a month, once a, you know, one out of every four Sundays, at which point you guys would probably start a protest, carrying around signs, throwing, you know, rotten tomatoes, and then, you know, Molotov cocktails, and, you know, who wants a Molotov cocktail thrown at them is just unpleasant. Point being, if managing money was important to Jesus, it should be important to us. He, we follow Jesus, important to him, it's just a basic aspect of being a disciple and follower of Jesus. All right, you ready to, tr- ready to transition? I want to give you some quick background to the book of Proverbs. It's in and around the middle of your Bibles, if you have the old school actual Bible. And here's some background to this ancient book given by God to us. About 95% of the entire book is written by King Solomon. 
and he wrote the book itself in and around 930 B.C., just a few years ago. And King Solomon was, and he is still famous for being, the wisest person in history outside of Jesus. You see, he was entering into this, this time as a young man, this time of, I'm going, I, I have just become the king of an entire nation. And so he begs God, I need your wisdom in order to lead this nation well. Well, God in his grace gives him, makes him instantly the wisest man on the planet. Can you imagine that? And so my question is, who better, what better place to consult about managing money and finances than Proverbs, which speaks about money and finances a surprising amount? This book that we are looking to for direction here uh, is written by the wisest person outside of Jesus in history. And, and so this is why we're going to the book of Proverbs. So here we go. Let's dive in. The pool is before us. The sermon title for today is, is simply two words, true wealth. True wealth. And Bob and I, Bob, by the way, he is the pastor at Port Kells Church. Some of you have been there with some of these collaborative services that we've done together. Uh, he's a hilarious guy. And uh, he's just down the road there, just north of us, about 10 minutes, five minutes or so. And we decided, you know what, let's, let's work on this sermon series about money and the book of Proverbs together. And so we together decided that a great place to start this series um, and look about, look what the Bible says about money is to deal with Proverbs speaking about what true wealth really is. What true wealth really is. What does it mean? Think about this. What does it mean to be truly wealthy, rich in God's eyes? Have you thought about that? How does God view true wealth? How does God view true richness? If that's a word. To most people, our culture defines true wealth in a certain kind of way. And our culture would define true wealth in a bunch of different aspects here. Uh, things like, for example, for you to be truly wealthy would be for you to have a great, high-paying, well-paying job with 100% medical benefits coverage or a successful money-making business that you are the business owner of. And if you have a good job, a great career with benefits or a great business that makes tons of money, well, you are wealthy, right? You're wealthy in the eyes of the world. To most people, to be truly wealthy means maybe having several weeks of paid vacation every year. Isn't that good? Or to be truly wealthy would be to have a bank account that's full of cash and investments that are full of cash for your retirement, maybe having a nice house, having a nice car or cars, or having nice technology, nice clothing, nice toys to play with. Furthermore, I think a lot of people equate true wealth with um, appearance, with outward beauty, with fitness. Fitness is a big emphasis on the lower mainland. If you are fit, world values. I want to end this point by sharing a couple more Proverbs before we move on to our third uh, point. Uh, this is such great stuff here. There's a whole whack more Proverbs that say the same thing. Proverbs 8, 10, and 11 say, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Next one, chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, it says, How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And then lastly, 20, verse 15, there is gold and abundance of costly stones. But the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. What do you look to as a jewel? What do you look to as gold or a light gold and silver? 
God's wisdom is more costly and more helpful than those things. Thank you, Lord, for this helpful truth. There's a a final point about true wealth in your notes. Number three is this. We find true wealth when we find and follow God. We find true wealth when we find and follow a God. Take a look at what the central summary verse, if you want to find out what uh, Proverbs is really all about, here is that verse that nicely encapsulates the entire message of it. Proverbs 9 verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now let me take a minute to explain this fear thing, because that can really sidetrack some people, and I get it. Uh, Fearing God Fearing God is not so much, it is not so much about you being in a state of uh, frightful terror before God, cowering before God before he you know, strikes you with lightning or, or crushes you. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. Because when a, a follower of Jesus uh, starts fearing Jesus and fearing God, that's the same kind of stance or position uh, that a child experiences before their mom or before their, their, their dad. And this is a stance, if it's a healthy parent-child relationship, it's a stance where the child has deference to the the parent and submission to and and listens to the parent and actually follows mom and dad out of love. So this is a stance of mutual love between you and between King Jesus and your Heavenly Father. It's a mutual stance of love that's behind the fear of the Lord. So this proverb says, the beginning place The starting point of wisdom for you is for you to find God and then regularly submit your life to Him in love and in gratitude. Here's what this boils down to. The wisest thing you can do, period, is to become a Christian, is to give your life to Christ with faith and trust, with repentance and baptism. That's the wisest thing you can do. Here's the rub, though. The rub comes in for a lot of not yet Christians, and even Christians struggle with this idea. You may have trouble fully submitting your life over and entrusting your life over to King Jesus. Because you know what? I don't know if Jesus can be trusted to take care of me all the time. I don't think I might like the direction that Jesus would take my life in if I fully gave my life over to him. I don't know about that. There's a true story. And this true story is, is fascinating. And it's, there's a church gathering. And at the end of the church service, kind of like what we're doing today, at the very end, um, there's a guy who hands his friend in the church, a fellow Christian, an envelope. And the guy receiving the envelope is dirt poor. Like things are really rough for him financially. But the guy handing him the envelope, the guy who did the handing of the envelope, is extremely wealthy okay now the wealthy guy handing the other guy the envelope says to him please don't open this envelope until you get home okay don't open this envelope until you get home so the guy leaves the church building the guy goes home what does he do he opens the envelope what's inside the envelope but literally true story a blank signed check blank signed check and there's a little note with the check that says you need to write in whatever amount that you need. I've got tons of money, so you take whatever you want, take whatever you need, please. Please. Wouldn't that be nice? True story. Can you imagine? But my question to you is this. 
Are you willing, like that wealthy guy, are you willing to hand Jesus your proverbial blank check? Take my life, Jesus. Here it is. I'm all in for you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my finances. I know that you personify wisdom, that true wealth, real, real wealth, is found in you alone. I'm cashing in for you. Here I am. Send me to do your work in this world. You see, this is what it means to fear the Lord. I'm all in. I am yours. I am listening to you. I am obeying you. This is what it means. You submit your agenda to his, and when you do this, your life of wisdom can begin. Your life of wisdom can begin at that point. All right. Thanks to Bob. I'll just blame everything on Bob with this sermon. Uh, Let me leave you with a call to action. Bob likes to leave and all of his sermons with a call to action, all right? And it's actually point number four in your notes, and this goes by uh, pretty quickly. And these are some actual uh, action steps that you can prayerfully take to treasure God and treasure his wisdom more than gold in your life. So in your notes, number four, uh, it is this. Call to action. We're talking about wealth management, okay? Wealth management, not worldly wealth, but God's wealth management and how you manage worldly wealth, if that makes any sense. In other words, how are you going to manage true wealth in your life? Uh, these steps are helpful. Little A in your notes is this. We'll just burn through these fairly quickly uh, before we close. Name your priorities, little A. Name your priorities, what really matters to you. And we're hoping and we're praying for uh, Jesus is first in your life as a Christian. And so what that means is you daily ask him to help you Help, help me to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. To treasure you over and above all other things and people. We, we have to pray that. And that's a regular prayer. So name your priorities. Secondly, little B in your notes. Uh, before you manage your actual money, make sure you do A. Make sure you do A before you start handling money and managing it and making decisions about it. Prioritize Christ first. And then C is the last step. Look at your bank statement. Isn't that scary to look at your bank statement? Maybe it's just me. But it is kind of scary. Your credit card statements, maybe those are even scarier. I don't know. But when you look at these statements that sort of give you a real snapshot of where your finances are really at, when you look at that bank statement, does it shout Jesus? Wow, look at that. The mission of Jesus is all over this bank statement. The wisdom of God is all over this bank statement. The wisdom of God is all over this credit card statement. Does it shout Jesus? Does it display his kingship in your life? Or does it shout Kurt? Does it shout me when you look at those statements? Something to think about, something to pray about. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord God, thank you that you didn't leave us on our own when it comes to managing the finances that you graciously give give to us through the jobs that we work or through uh, the government help that we receive, whatever it happens to be. We need your help. We live in an extremely expensive place. And I pray that we would not just do the definition of insanity, which is keeping on doing the same thing over and over again without actually doing any change. We need your self-control. We need your Holy Spirit to give us the, the power and the ability and the motivation to set our finances in a way that reflects, that shouts you. That when people look at our statements, our financial statements, that they would see that you are first and foremost in our lives. But we need your help toward that end. Lord God, I know that, I just want to take a minute to honor you, knowing that 
we cannot be saved, we cannot receive your wisdom in our, in our lives and your help and your power in our lives without your gospel, without your finished work on the cross. And so we want to honor you as we come to the time of the Lord's Supper and thank you for living our perfect life for us in our place, for dying on the cross for our sins in our place as the perfect sacrifice, and for rising again three days later. You made salvation possible for us, and you made life transformation possible for us, Lord Jesus, and we owe, we, we owe you everything. We owe you our lives. Help us to daily give our lives as a living sacrifice to you and to, our, to your purposes. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, transition.